Hopefully you've uh, sufficiently greeted one another and uh, got a refill on what you need. And uh, we're glad you're able to join with us today. Um, if you if you remember, we've only been only preached twice, so shouldn't be hard to remember what I've been preaching on, kind of thing. But um, the first Sunday we talked about Colossians four, what kind of people you are, people of prayer, people of opportunity, people of partnership. There's three points of an outline, if you will. And, and I, I, I'm so delighted that uh, those messages will be are on actually the website. So if you missed a Sunday, you can go back and track on that and see where the themes are going. And, and to be honest, the main theme uh, we've been working on is, is the theme of prayer. And I want you to know I'm more than a one-note one note Johnny, I guess. You know, I, there's more than one piece, but it is an important piece. Well, if you talk about the core values of the Alliance uh, in their list of, of core values, they'll start with number one, which is lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Yeah. Number two is prayer is the primary work of the people of God. So uh, that piece is an important piece toward any success that City Light Church will have in this community, any success that we'll have in ministry here uh, in this transitional season. So prayer is an important piece. The other piece, I just was glad when Frank was sharing about how God was prompting from his word, uh, is that uh, another core value is knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to true success or to all success. So I, I'm hoping that as we dig into these particular portions of Scripture, <clears throat> that uh, it's more than, oh, okay, there's another sermon on prayer. Hopefully it's more than that. Hopefully you can chew on these things a bit. Um, and that's the purpose of providing some kind of outline, just jot some notes down and think about what those, what that truth is from that word. So we've looked at, uh, a New Testament passage from Colossians 4. We looked at an Old Testament story uh, from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, the, uh, you know, the, the prayer, the part of that, uh, the language of it was something like this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that almost has a, that, that could work in a black church really well. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You know, that could work in any kind of culture context. So uh, regardless of where it's given, that's a good word. We don't know what to do. There are times when we just, Lord, what's next? What's going to happen? But our eyes are on you, and that's the important piece. Now, today I want to come to another Old Testament story, and it's from an Old Testament book. Again, uh, the book of Nehemiah, which is, in the category, you know, the, the Old Testament kind of is carved up into the law, the prophets, and the writings. Those are three buckets, if you will. And uh, Nehemiah is in that latter category of writings. Just, and it's more like historical, like Kings and Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were really one book in the New Testament or in the Old Testament canon until about the 15th century, I think. Uh, and they decided to divide it into two. Uh, they're, they're, they're partners together in the same era, 
in the same time frame. But Nehemiah chapter 1 is where I'm going to go. So you follow along with me as I read. <clears throat> and then we're going to dig into answering the question, how much do you care? How much do I care? How much do we care? So Nehemiah chapter 1. I've given you enough time to try to find it. If It's one of those in-between things, you know, that it's kind of hard to find. But if you've got it, good, follow along. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, which doesn't mean anything to you, except that's November, December, uh, in the 20th year, while I was in the city of, in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the, to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, of this your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, referring to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. First chapter of Nehemiah. <clears throat> um, now, you can think about some of the Old Testament books or stories, and they may be a little bit, might border to you on too long ago history, irrelevant, not practical, but, uh, but you, you capture from this particular story uh, some important pieces about Nehemiah's response to a place that he uh, really had a heart for. Um, and so here's the backstory a little bit. You, you recall we talked a little bit about last last week about the Old Testament under the reign of David and then the reign of Solomon. It was at its zenith as a nation, and then because of all a whole bunch of things, uh, um, Solomon didn't live up to his wisdom in his own practical living of life. Uh, it resulted in the dividing of the kingdom. So the kingdom was torn in two or divided in two. Uh, northern parts of uh, the, the region were uh, under Israel, and then Judah was in the southern part. So you had ten kingdoms, two kingdoms. Anyway, two, almost like two separate uh, 
regions, two separate peoples that were being governed by kings. So we talked about 40 different kings that were operative in, in a period of time for those, those, uh, those kingdoms. Because the people of Israel didn't obey God, um, he allowed them to go into captivity. First, the northern uh, kingdom goes into uh, captivity and essentially into oblivion. You don't hear anything about them anymore. It's like the lost tribes of Israel is what sometimes they refer to. The southern kingdom, uh, Judah, uh, it eventually goes into captivity as well, but, but it goes and there is this uh, expatriation, expatriation, I guess, that uh, they are taken and put into a foreign culture climate. But there is the promise of God that he's going to bring a return at some point in time. Nehemiah is one of the guys who is involved in the return, in fulfillment of the prophecy uh, that the scriptures gave for that event to happen. So, Nehemiah is hanging out in uh, Susa. Uh, it was kind of like the, the winter palace for the, for the empire at that point. Uh, and uh, there are some things that he begins to inquire about. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit, because uh, I was talking, well, Barbara and I ha have a, a practice that we usually do in reading uh, scripture in, 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 the day, in the evening together, usually. Um, and there is a tool that we use. It might be helpful for you. It's, it's done by a fellow by the name of John Soper, who was a longtime Alliance guy, uh, former district superintendent, former divisional, uh, division of church ministries, vice president. Um, and he developed this uh, tool called Mission 119 based on 119th Psalm, okay, which is the longest psalm, Mission 119. If you, if you are not in the habit of uh, reading the scriptures, this could be a helpful tool for you. Because in a five-day-a-week kind of model, he, he, you read through the Bible over the course of a year. And so you log on, you listen to it, and, and then he has this wonderful little devotional piece that uh, that he that he adds that's just brings that whole thing to life a little bit and uh, makes it much more meaningful very practical very good resource tool mission119.org okay so much for the commercial he didn't pay me to do that i just put it out there okay but we were reading one night and as we were reading this particular passage came up about nehemiah and when i heard that line that was in, in, the, in the book, it says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. It was like God jumped that thing out at me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're reading the word and something, something comes out at you, or you just you say, whoa, I never saw that before. Or, oh, yeah, that's God's word for me. And hopefully that will happen. Hopefully that happens for you. If not, then... Well, there's a whole lot of things probably you could do to try to elevate that. But anyway, but it came out to me just like it just like and just moved right out this way. And I sensed the Lord saying to me, and I don't get all spooky and weird on this, but just God just whispered to my heart, this is a word I want you to preach to City Light Church. And I don't get those kinds of spooky messages. 
you know, it's not, I, I didn't get it on golden tablets or anything like that, or an angel didn't come with a big white wings and, you know, they, you know, didn't do that kind of thing. But it's just like, it's like, this is for this group. So that's God's prompting to me. You're going to have to figure out what to do with it. My job is to get the food to the table. You got to chew on it from there. Okay. So that's the way we'll, we'll work it. So here we are. And it was that whole concept of when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And so it kind of prompted in my heart this whole business, how much do we really care? And it was based on the response of Nehemiah. So let me just lay out a few things. Um, in this particular era, you have the ministry of Esther, uh, whom God raised, and the line from her book is, "For who knows, for such a time as this, I have come to the kingdom. For such a time as this. And in our lives, there are those such a time as this kind of events. And I, I feel, you know, like in this transitional ministry opportunity, for such a time as this, God has prompted my heart and given me this opportunity. So I want to just be the delivery boy uh, of his word to you to encourage you and to help keep you focused so that the God of this city, whether it's Wilkes-Barre or Harrisburg or Spring Grove or where it is that God has you planted, will be the one who gets glory and honor by growing his people and extending the kingdom in the lives of others around. Uh, I will eventually get to the message. I'm, I'm just taking a long route around, okay? So here we are. There are some things that I think are key that follow from this in terms of asking the question, how much do we care? The first one is this. First, I encourage you to care enough to inquire. Care enough to inquire. Um, <clears throat> when, when his brother comes uh, from Judah, in verse 2, with other men, he questions them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Um, care enough to inquire. Probably, likely, when you came in today, someone asked you the question. What's the question? How are you? How are you? And, and uh, that's, 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 that's a simple question. Just asking, generally inquire. I know it's the courteous thing to do, or you don't come in and say, I don't give a rip about you today. You don't say that. You know, you, you, you say, I, I, you know, how are you, how are you doing? How'd your week go? And that's a, a, you care enough to inquire. And hopefully it's more than just something to break the ice. Hopefully in a, in a church, regardless of its size, whether it's a church of hundreds or less than that, there needs to be a place where you can inquire, how's it going? Hopefully, in that simple question, when you're inquiring, you're genuinely concerned about that person, Amen. a brother or sister in Christ, or someone who's maybe close to the kingdom, but on the outside looking in, and, and, and they're struggling with whatever... Uh, it, your, your question is, how, how are you doing? How is it going? Care enough to inquire. Inquire in this particular portion of Scripture. He inquired about the people. He says, how are the people doing? The remnant who are left back there. Not everybody was deported uh, off-site, but they kind of disseminated a, a gang. Uh, cream of the crop, in many cases, went, went to the Babylonian capital. Uh, but he was curious about how the remnant, how the rest of the people were doing. 
So inquire, inquiring about people. So uh, just the practical application piece of that is when you're when you're inquiring about people, be genuinely interested in them. How is it going? Hopefully we'll 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 give an honest answer, and, and hopefully you're you're brave enough to to say it's been a crappy week. It's been a terrible week. It's been a horrible, ugly, no good, whatever you know. Whatever, pick the phrase you want to use. Uh, hopefully, you can be honest enough to share that with somebody and not overwhelm them that they've asked the question. Now, okay, now what do I do? You know, the counselor is over here, and you know, the doctor is over here, and the, the rabbi is over here. You know, you can, you can plug you into. Hopefully, it's something that you can manage and just say, well, genuinely, I'm interested, and you know, hey. I don't have an answer for that, but I tell you what, would you mind, would you mind terribly if we just paused for prayer and just ask God to minister to your need? And just put your hand on their shoulder if if you feel that's appropriate. And you don't, you know, but just but just to simply offer prayer on behalf of how, care enough to inquire about people, about a place as well. He was interested in terms of Jerusalem. That was and that was a that was a big thing for him. Uh, that was the place that he'd come from. There was his heart was there, and when he heard that uh, things were not good, it was it was a, a painful picture that was given. And so he talked about here. Here's the picture he gives. It's a small number of people, the remnant who are there. It's a struggle for survival. The wall is broken down, and this particular group of people is almost a shadow of the past, and it's not as as it was. Churches sometimes tend to run in cycles of sorts. And so you can have the growth point and then sometimes consolidation, or sometimes even you lose ground a bit. But regardless of where you're at in the cycle, uh, God is still the same. He's still looking for people who will follow after him, and hopefully that will be our response to follow hard after him. Um, But it's a shadow of the past. Now, you can sit here today as... As a, you might even feel like a remnant from what it was X number of years ago, or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, I have, I have attendance figures for ten years. And you can show that we went up like this, and then it's been like down this way. You know, and that's that can be painful to look at that or talk about it and say, Lord, what's going on? What do you want? But in in all of that. Don't be afraid to inquire. Inquire of him, but inquire, how's it going? One of the things that we will long to do is be able to encounter his word and experience healing in our lives for the hurts that have uh, that have come, not so much intentional, but just the fallout of pastoral change that can and does occur. It doesn't make a difference whether it's whether it's optimum circumstances that the change has occurred or if it's just been just brutal along the process. It doesn't make a difference. God is still the one to whom we look and to whom we inquire. And so we want to have the care for one another in process. And we'll come to topics from time to time uh, that will afford us opportunity to respond, uh, to say, Lord, what do you want to do in our hearts this morning to minister to our needs. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. Typically, in Alliance churches, we observe communion together. We're planning on doing that. 
And one of the things that sometimes I will do uh, just in these transitional seasons is, is, sure, we'll observe community together, but maybe there's a need that you've got. Maybe there's something that you just, you just would appreciate prayer for. And so be thinking for next Sunday that when we come together, I'll probably give you that opportunity. Is there anything that we can pray with you about? Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe you'd like to be anointed for a physical problem you're having. Or maybe it's just a struggle you've been having. We're just going to take a few moments to pray. And we're not going to get embarrassing. We're not going to get really weird at that point. But all we're going to do is say, here's an opportunity. If you'd like to respond, let's do it. Or, or even at the end of any service, you're more than welcome. Just say, flag me down or flag Frank down as one of our elders or one other brother in whom we have confidence and, and say, hey, I would appreciate prayer for this. Here's a struggle I'm having. Or here's a problem I'm really going to be facing this week. And I need wisdom beyond my natural ability. So those kinds of things are the things. So care enough to inquire. So, so next week when you come in, and uh, if someone asks you, uh, uh, how are you doing? Choose to be brave and be honest. Don't dump the whole dump truck load on them, you know, because you know, there's a limit, you know. But at least be open enough to say, hey, here's something I would appreciate prayer for. Maybe, maybe we could change the question and say, what's been the greatest challenge for you this week? And that'll give you something to chew on there, uh, and then what God may be able to do. Okay, first, care enough to inquire. Hopefully, we're, we're people who are doing that. Second thing, and this is the one that gets a little different. <clears throat> care enough to cry. Care enough to cry. Nehemiah 1.4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Now, I don't know what the challenges are that you're facing. But I dare suspect that until you've had a good cry, you're not at the bottom yet. Sometimes when we, when we cry, there, it's a wonderful, crying can be a wonderful gift from God. It may seem odd to say that, but it can be because there's this emotional, cathartic release that occurs. And, and, Nobody has to say anything or do anything, but sometimes when you just cry, uh, you, you release some stuff. You release some tensions. You, 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 you express something to God, surely, clearly, that this problem is bigger than me and he knows it. And so there's just somehow you, it's, it's almost like <sighs> I needed to do that. Now, I don't want you going around in basket cases, you know, just crying all of them. I don't want you, I'm not looking you to go that route. But well, I guess all I'm saying is don't be afraid of that. And uh, some people perceive crying as a weakness. They say, you remember the movie, A League of Their Own? Huh? huh? There's no crying in baseball. The line from the movie, there's no crying in baseball. And uh, sometimes we view crying as a weakness. You know, you should buck up. Don't, don't worry about crying. You know, that's a, that's a weakness. It's interesting, however, that in the scriptures, there are enough examples of people who cried not as a weakness, but as a strength. For instance, Jeremiah. He was, all, he was called the weeping prophet. 
And, and probably the people who were around him after a while began to think, Jeremiah, you're, you're really losing it. You're coming unglued. Oh, you're, you're starting to unravel here a little bit, bud. <clears throat> but he was so weighted down with the burden of the people of God that he, he, there were times where he, he wept. He wept. You can go to the New Testament and you can find in the life of Paul, where he sheds more than a few tears over people uh, in different church settings kind of thing. You can clearly go to the, the life of Jesus, who goes out of Jerusalem and sits and looks over the city, and he weeps. And so here's the question today. What causes you to cry? What does it take for you to cry? I think don't view crying as a weakness. View it as a strength, as a gift that God gives to you to be able to release to him the things that you're carrying around and you haven't quite got figured out or you might need a little bit of help with from a brother or sister in Christ and, and you, you bring those to the Father. Don't be afraid to cry. Don't be afraid to cry. Um. There was a further response that Nehemiah makes. He says, not only prayed, but he says, I, I, some days I mourned and I fasted before the God of heaven. I don't want to make this into some legalistic thing or thing that you think, if I just do this, that will impress God and he'll finally show up. But I believe that the discipline of prayer and of fasting are appropriate for our day and appropriate for any church in any season, but especially in a transitional season, where you can take some time to, to let go of some things that you would normally do or be any, any kind of sense of entitlement, like, yeah, you know, whatever it may be, um, and, and be willing to set those aside. You, we're in this season. We call it Lent, okay? Uh, you know, uh, we started on Ash Wednesday, and so the question there was, what are you going to give up for Lent. And uh, so you have all kinds of responses, you know, you know, people can make. But perhaps one of the things you can do is choose to forego a, a, perhaps some kind of activity uh, and, and devote some additional time to prayer and fasting over that. And that's an appropriate discipline and opportunity that God gives us. I just lay that out there not to say that makes you more spiritual than somebody else, but only to say it's one of those ways in which you can draw closer to God. And if that's what prayer is all about, then let's move that direction. One of the things I get concerned about, you know, I can preach on prayer till I'm blue in the face. But if we don't do anything with it, what good is it? <clears throat> Again, my job is to get the food to the table. you got to chew on it. you got to take care of it and ownership of that. And so... Let's keep that in mind. He cared enough to inquire. He cared enough to cry. Okay, let's keep moving. He cared enough then to pray. And there we are. One note Johnny comes up again. Cared enough to pray, verses 5 through 10 in particular. And it's a wonderful prayer. You want to chew on something this week, you want to sit on something this week, go through this prayer and let it go through you. This is one of a dozen instances in this book of Nehemiah where it records him praying or offering a prayer. Uh, the second chapter is it's really fun uh, when he comes before the king 
And uh, <clears throat> uh, verse 4 says, uh, King says to me, he notices the, the, the countenance. His, he was just not really happy. Nehemiah was not happy. King noticed it. And as compared to the king, you, you don't want you want to get on the wrong side of the king. You could be unemployed or dead. Take your pick, uh, depending on where that all sh shakes down. But the king said to me, "What is it that you want?" In verse four, he says, "Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered." This is not. He didn't take the time. He said, "Just a second before I answer, I need a half an hour to talk to God." This is one of those arrow prayers that says, "God, I need it right now," and just kind of offers it up. So. He, he chose to make that prayer, and this is only one of those things. But, but the power of this prayer is wonderful. Um, Alan Redpath is a, a, a former pastor of a church in Chicago area initially. I think it was there. But he, may, he has some wonderful writings. But, but he makes this one comment. He says, there is too much working before men, too little waiting before God. And that can be true. We can, we can be all energized to do things ourselves, and we'll help God out. But remember we were talking about last week, the week before, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And so that's, that's always a reminder piece there that he was a, a man who prayed. No, so, so here, and I don't have these... I didn't. We didn't roll these in to fill in the blank. You get the whole answers here. So this is you can you can. But look at look at the characteristics of this God to whom we come. Who is it that we come? He's awesome. Now I know that word is overworked. Junior high kids. Well, that probably probably won't even use that anymore. But it's awesome. How was the concert like? It was awesome. God is awesome. Concert was cool, you know. But God is awesome. Great and awesome God. Uh, he's covenant keeping. He is the one who who makes promise to us from his word and then will fulfill it. That's the blessing of being one of his children that he is able to do. Uh, we, we, we used to have, well, we used to have these things in the church. They were called hymnals. If you've ever been to an old church, you might have seen a hymnal somewhere. You know, a cake, you know, a book. And it has, it has words, and it has music in it. And sometimes people actually sang out of that, you know. They didn't have projection up here, you know. So, so uh, in, in those kind of things, he is, uh, there was one song called, <clears throat> um, the chorus of it goes like this. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. See, I knew there was some archivy stuff around here somewhere. But you, you know, uh, and that's based on New Testament portion of Scripture, and we know our confidence. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we have the desires we ask of him. Now, that may not be the version you've memorized it in, but it's close. It's the whole business of, of this God who is covenant-keeping but is also prayer-hearing. He listens to it, and, he says, and so he, he, he puts it in, in verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. 
Why is prayer so key? Why is prayer so key for us as a people? Because it is simply doing what God has asked us to do and invited us to do. Come into his presence. Ask, seek, knock, and make that a part of your response to him. Because prayer is one of the things that demonstrates our willingness to, to, to care, or the evidence of our care. He's a confession welcoming God. Uh, where was I? Oh, gosh. Um, I was at a church. I, I was preaching at a church. I don't remember if it was one or I was doing a transitional thing. I don't, yeah, it was. Okay. Took me, took me to figure where it was. Chapter and verse, right church, wrong pew. Okay. So I was up in Williamsport at Faith Alliance Church for about six months. I was there. And I had a fellow come in. And when I, <clears throat> when I would pray, uh, I would often just kind of do like a pastoral prayer. But included in that pastoral prayer was almost like a prayer of confession. Oh, God, we have done. We have not done. That kind of thing. And the guy after the service says, oh, he says, I was, I, it's the first time I've heard that in a long while. He said, I go to a church down in Florida, and every Sunday they have a prayer of confession. Probably Presbyterian church. But anyway, but that's okay. It doesn't make flavors neither here nor there. But that was a part of their liturgy, a prayer of confession. So we agree with God that, Confess that literally agree with God about what he says about us. And so sometimes the word is very clear that we don't always get it right. And we are like sheep who wander and we don't do always the things that we should. And we don't uh, we, we, we don't always get it right. So the, the prayer of confession was an important part. Here, Nehemiah says the same thing. He does the same thing. He said, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. One piece, just, just put it in the hopper here. In this time of transition, it is a good time for a congregation to do a little soul searching, a little soul care. And maybe there are some things that God will prompt you in as we explore his word and bring to the surface. And he'll, he'll I, I don't know if he taps you on the shoulder or knocks you on the head or whatever he does to get your attention or brings it to your mind or won't let you get away from it. But it may be something that is unresolved in your relationship to him. Maybe it's something you're holding against a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's something that you're doing in secret that just is probably not appropriate, and, and yet you're, you're trapped. You're, you're in bondage or something like that. Uh, it, maybe whatever it is that God taps you on the shoulder on, one of the things the scriptures are very clear in 1 John says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is simply agreeing with God. You can argue till you're blue in the face and say, God, I don't like what you said about me. I, I, I disagree with you. And he will say, okay, you have the right to disagree, but that doesn't change a bit in terms of the truth of what God's word says about who you are as a follower uh, of him and, and one who may not be following Christ as well. I included myself and I've committed to those things. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave to your servant Moses. He's a confession welcoming God. He is also a success granting God. And that's his prayer at the very end of that verse 11. He says, The Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today 
by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He has a, he has a job to do as cupbearer to the king, a very important primary responsibility. Uh, anything that, that passed by the cupbearer uh, that was deadly uh, got to the cupbearer first, I guess, in the process. And so it could be a short shelf life as a cupbearer. But be that as it may, uh, his responsibility was for the safety and welfare of the king. And here he now, with a downcast face or spirit, says, God, I, this whole thing is burdening me down. I need some relief, and, and I don't want to come with, a, with, a, with a, a saddened countenance before the king, just like Esther feared that kind of thing uh, in her story as well. I need you. I need you. And so he comes as he is, and, and, and God opens the opportunity uh, to experience success uh, because he chooses to be a person of prayer. Finally, one final piece is care enough to commit. Now, how much do you care? In the slide that we sang earlier, uh, God, you're the God of this city. Uh, and I, I think uh, there, there was a picture uh, of, uh, in one of the pictures, it was a scene of the, of the city kind of thing. Uh, was it on this PowerPoint, the first slide, Frank, that had the picture of the guy looking over the city, I think? I, I, it doesn't show up here, but that's right. Uh, trust me, it was there, I think. I thought I remembered it. But, but, but it's, it's looking over, and, and you, can, you can choose at that point to say, yeah, I guess I should care. But until you've wept for the city, you don't care. Until you've wept before God... You don't care. And until you've let things out in his presence, there's still more work that he hasn't done to bring to the point of, yes, I really care. And I think the phrase here is care enough to commit. Um, so Howard, I think it was Howard Hendricks, I remember reading a number of years ago, described two basic kinds of people that come into church. He said, there are, there are first... First of all, there are, the, there are the pillars of the church. They are there, and they are in, all in, and they're for the long haul. And, they're, and then they're the caterpillars of the church. And they're the people just kind of wandering in, wandering out, unaffected, uncommitted. And so I just thought it was an interesting comparison. And so I would ask you... Are you more caterpillar-ish or pillar-ish? In terms of your commitment, are you all in? Uh, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before down at Summit Grove Camp, our uh, camp that was hooked on to the Eastern PA District down in New Freedom. And uh, they had this particular theme of all in. all in. And that's a phrase we use. Are you all in? Yes, I'm all in. You know, basketball players are all in. You know, that kind of thing whatever it may be, are you all in? And, and it, it's commitment. It's willing to give and invest even when it hurts, even when it doesn't seem like there's much working, even doesn't seem like there's a lot that's been going on. It seems to be obvious answers to prayer, but we just keep on plugging in, leaning in to God. Uh, one quote I came across says, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. We're not here to try to twist God's arm to get him to do what we want. We want his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth, even as it is being done 
in heaven. And God calls us then to availability. There's this wonderful verse in Ephesians 3.20. And it talks, it says, puts it this way. Uh, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly. Uh, this may not be the version you've learned it in. But exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to his power that is at work in us. In us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Okay, that's a, that's a good benediction. I'll, I'll probably use it again when we close. But the, the point is here, it is his work in us, and it involves commitment. Last week we talked about, uh, you know, Jehoshaphat says, oh, I want you, don't be afraid. He talks about five commands that were in the 20th chapter. Uh, and and it says one of them was take your place. Take your place. Take your position. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. That, that, those kinds of commands that were part of that message. Check it out on the website. Uh, but stand firm. God is looking for people to take their place. So here's the question. Have you found your place? Have you found your place in service and ministry to the body of Christ at City Light Church? Um, Nehemiah because he was resourced by the king, was able to rebuild a broken down, burned down wall in 52 days. It, it, yeah, it took a little while, but 52 days. They were years in captivity. It took them 52 days to get the job done when they committed themselves to it and all the resources that God supplied. So let me just remind you as we wrap up here. The Bible is filled with stories of people who chose to care. Abraham cared and rescued Lot from Sodom. Moses cared and rescued the people of Israel from Egypt. David cared and brought the nation and the kingdom back to the Lord. Esther cared and risked her life to save her nation from genocide. Paul cared and took the gospel to the Roman Empire. Jesus cared and died on the cross for a lost world. Will you care enough to inquire, to cry, to pray, to commit to the ministry at City Light Church to impact our world for Christ? I guess to use the phrase from Summit Grove Camp, are you in? And that's a question that you will have to answer before God. I don't want to, I don't want to just prematurely try to whip up some enthusiasm and say, yeah, let's go. I, I want you to be fully convinced of God, that he has you here for a purpose, for such a time as this in order to accomplish his purposes and plans, and that you really do care. Now you need to contextualize this for your own work. It may be a school-related setting, maybe a business-related setting, maybe another geographic area you're serving. But uh, do I really care? My prayer is that you'll get the right answer, and that it'll be a truthful answer that your heart is in. So uh, let, me, let me pause for prayer. And uh, then we're going to sing uh, that uh, song again about the God of the city. Uh, I think he still has some greater things 
that are yet to be done in this city. So will you join me as we pray? Okay. Uh, Father, you are the one who searches the hearts of people up and down aisles here in these rows, in these seats. You are the one uh, that we look to uh, for the ability to answer the question, how much do I care? And I know that this body has been through some tough stuff. And there's probably still some areas of healing that need to occur in their world. And perhaps they haven't just kind of wept before you over those things. But uh, there's another portion of the word that says, weeping may endure for a short time, but joy comes in the morning. It may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So if there are people who have mourned or wept, and they are really in, I pray that you will give to them your joy. And if there are those that are still in process, who need to have the heartbeat of God within them, that expresses itself in caring for other people, inquiring about their welfare, and, and praying over and with them, pray that you just nudge them along, drawing them closer as they press into you, and I'm going to trust you for all that you'll do. This city, uh, 40,000 in Wilkes-Barre anyways, and a quarter million probably in the whole Scranton, Wyoming Valley area, certainly needs light. And, and you've given a church with a name that's in that whole vein, City Light. So let the light shine from people who care, even from this place. We'll leave the results to you. We don't want to orchestrate that. We leave those results to you. But in the meanwhile, we purpose to be like Nehemiah with our face toward you. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.